0: Today we're going to look at Jesus' miracle of healing the man with the withered hand. It's found in Matthew 12, verses 9 to 14. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, Matthew 12, 9 to 14. The scriptures record that Lord Jesus performed miracles on seven Sabbaths. Seven times Jesus worked a miracle on the Sabbath day. And it would seem that both Jesus' Sabbath works themselves and the scriptural record of those Sabbath works point us to the superiority of Christian liberty over man-made, legalistic, religious rules. Let's look at one of these miracles that Jesus performed on one Sabbath day. And I'm going to read from Matthew's account 12, verses 9 to 14. Hear the word of God. And departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand. And they questioned him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? In order that they might accuse him. And he said to them, What man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out. And counseled together against him, as to how they might destroy him. The day that Jesus walked into that synagogue, he also walked into a hornet's nest of theological debate. Because it was a Sabbath, and a man suffering with a withered hand was already in the synagogue, we can let our minds imagine what it must have been like for the man with the withered hand. Most work at that time was labor, and how it would have been difficult for him to find a job with a withered hand. And then if he were to find a job with a withered hand, how challenging it might have been for him to keep that job. And our Lord, when he walked into the synagogue, he faced the Pharisees. From the context of verses 1 through 8, especially verse 2, we know that the they of verse 10 were none other than the Pharisees. Immediately, the Pharisees asked the Lord Jesus a question. It was a fishing lure kind of a question. It was designed to catch Jesus up. It was a question of accusation, according to the second part of verse 10. It was a question of confrontation, a question of pride. It was a question of self-advancement, and self-protection. In fact, it was a question of entrapment. It was a question involving judging. It was a question that lacked compassion. It was a question debating religious authority. And it was a question that was looking for a legal interpretation. But more than all of that, it was a godless question asked by godless men who posed as being godly models. Here I mean there in that synagogue was a real and struggling and a hurting soul who was presumably inside the synagogue to learn of God and to worship God. And the Pharisees, most burning question of Jesus, had nothing to do with helping the man Instead, it had everything to do with getting Jesus in trouble with their religious tradition. That was low. That was legalism. The men, leaders of the nation and experts in the Jewish law, should have been kind and compassionate and prayerful and focused on the other one who was in need. But instead, they were much more interested in accusing the Lord Jesus of wrongdoing and hanging on for dear life to their status and to their wealth. That was low. That was legalism. (laughs) These Pharisees were more like customs officers at Pendling International Airport than doctors at a free walk-in clinic. They wanted to catch Jesus doing wrong in order to prove themselves right. They couldn't have cared less about the crippled man. That was and that still is a recipe for steamrolling over persons, either that you see as being threats or as being disposable. What happened in that synagogue that day was a man in tremendous need got introduced to the God-man with tremendous power to heal, and the religious hypocrites were more interested in a theological showdown than a tender, physical salvation. That was low. That was legalism. The whole thing, I think, would be something like a guy driving over a pedestrian, badly injuring him, and then insisting that the ambulance not remove the injured man to PMH until he could take a great deal of time measuring things of the accident scene and take pictures. Self interest to the expense of empathy and assistance. Well, as we circle back to Jesus facing a fishing lure question from a bunch of religious experts who had no heart, let's consider Jesus' answer. Verses nine and 10. And departing from there, he went into their synagogue And behold, there was a man with a withered hand, and they questioned him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him? Jesus, we'll see in this account, answered their question perfectly. He answered their question with love and not legalities. He answered their question with reason and not religious rules. He answered their question Reasoning from the lesser, the sheep, to the larger, the man. He answered with a high view of persons who are in need and not with a low view of them. He answered with compassion and not with competition. He answered with his eye on a disability, not on a debate. He answered the question with the tender heart of God and not the cold heart of men who wanted the power of God. For Jesus, it was not low. It was not legalism. For Jesus, it was love. It was leaving him whole. Verses 11 and 12. And he, Jesus, said to them, the Pharisees, what man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep, and it falls into a pit on a Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. There was one more way that the Lord Jesus answered the Pharisees' fishing lure question. Jesus answered it plainly, decisively, unconditionally, emphatically, and to paraphrase, Jesus' answer was this. It's always right to do right on the Sabbath. It's always right to do right on the Sabbath. Now, to get to the, the heart of this particular miracle of the Lord Jesus healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, there are three main truths I'd like us to see. And these three truths should shape our Christian service. These Three truths should shape and sculpt our Christian testimonies. And the first truth is that legalism is a principle to be avoided. The second truth, liberty is to be our guide. And the third truth, love, is to be our guide. Maybe... A little alliteration may assist us in clarifying between legalism, liberty, and love. Legalism is the frozen heart. Liberty is the flexible heart, and love is the full heart. Legalism is the frozen heart. Liberty is the flexible heart, and love is the full heart. And by this sermon's end, my prayer for you this week, as I have prayed leading up to this opportunity to minister the word with you, my prayer for each of us, we would see the condition of our own hearts this morning, whether they be frozen, whether they be flexible, or whether they be full. And so as we come to these three truths I've just spoken to you, Let me take them one by one. First, truth one, legalism is a principle to be avoided. It will be diagnostic to us as we allow the spirit of God to minister to us from this passage under these three truths. Again, legalism is a principle to be avoided. Liberty is to be our guide and love is to be our guide. So let's start with the first Truth Legalism is a principle to be avoided. Think with me about these statements. Number one, what we do not do may be just as wrong as something we do. There are sins of omission, leaving undone what God wants done. Examples to that might be failing to pray, failing to witness, Failing to confess sin, failing to give to the Lord monetary offerings. What we do not do may be just as wrong as something we do. Second statement I want you to think about to refuse to do good is to do evil. To refuse to do good is to do evil. James 4.17 makes this clear. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. To refuse to do good is to do evil. The third statement for us to consider, legalism has negative rigidity which forbids actions under certain circumstances And in some cases, that forbidding has a bottom line of condoning evil. I know that's a mouthful. Let me say it again. Legalism has negative rigidity, which prohibits actions under certain circumstances. And in some cases, that forbidding has the bottom line of condoning evil. Let me illustrate. Many of the churches in Nazi Germany fell in line with Hitler. The members of these congregations were expected not to resist Nazism by hiding Jews or assisting Jews to get away. And that negative rigidity, that legalism, led to inaction, which really was the condoning of the evil. Pastor Martin Niemöller ministered in Nazi Germany and was one of the few pastors that had the courage of conviction and the compassion of heart to oppose Hitler. His famous quote is, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. End of quote. To the degree that legalism forbids righteous action, legalism condones evil. The fourth statement for our consideration. If legalists promote legalistic practices which prohibit the practice of good, then the legalists must be prepared to justify evil. If legalists promote legalistic practices which prohibit the practice of good, then the legalists must be prepared to justify evil. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses do not take blood transfusions. You probably have heard, as have I, of Jehovah's Witness minor children who have died because the parents refused to give them a blood transfusion. If legalists promote legalistic practices which prohibit the practice of good, then the legalists must be prepared to justify evil. Fifth statement, legalism can make you a hypocrite. As our Lord pointed out, the legalistic Pharisees who would not come to the aid of a, crippled man on the Sabbath would not hesitate in the least to rescue their own sheep on a Saturday. Church family, may we never sacrifice persons on the altar of legalism. No human cause is more important than a person's soul. No sincere but flawed conviction is to be a battering ram devaluing human beings or selfishly trying to control them. Jesus didn't die for causes. Jesus died for persons. And Jesus' church is to nurture persons, not tie them up in non-biblical rules and human traditions. Of course, it's hypocrites who impose rules on others that they themselves do not keep. And so point one in our survey of this miracle is that legalism is a principle to be avoided. Point two is that liberty is to be our guide. Liberty is to be our guide. In this miracle, facing major league legalists, the Lord Jesus ministered in the freedom of God's grace. Jesus saw the man and his problem. Jesus felt the man's pain in his problem. And then Jesus healed him, irrespective of the Sabbath day. Christian liberty operates within two things the freedom to follow or not to follow established customs. Depending on the need which is presented to us, Christian liberty operates within two things the freedom to follow established customs or the freedom not to follow them, depending on the need which presents itself. In this miracle, our Lord followed established custom in that he was in the synagogue with the Jews on the Sabbath, where he was supposed to be as a Jew. Other scriptures, like Luke 4, verse 16, indicate that attending synagogue worship on Sabbath was our Lord's habit. Did it all the time. Christian liberty, when properly understood, does not free one from regular responsibilities which a believer has. Examples, attending worship services, Hebrews 10, 25. Example, loving others with God's love. Example, having always the willingness to forgive others, example, having grace-based financial giving to one's church, example, properly studying God's word and praying, example, properly submitting to God-ordained church leadership. Christian liberty does not free any of us from these wholesome biblical duties. (laughs) When you think about it, Our Lord Jesus, of all people, would have had plenty of very good reasons not to go to synagogue each Sabbath. He got little out of the Old Testament lessons. He was the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament, which was read and explained. He knew much, much more about God and about spiritual things than anyone in the synagogue, including the synagogue leaders. And he knew that the religious organization called the synagogue was soon going to be replaced by the church. Yet, Jesus went to the synagogue regularly. Now, another thing about Christian liberty is that Christian liberty may involve unusual behavior. In this particular miracle, our Lord did an unusual thing. He healed on the Sabbath day. He healed in a public structured place, that is the synagogue, while the worship routines were taking place. That is, Jesus didn't excuse himself along with the crippled man away from the synagogue's public worship so he could heal him in private. All of this was unusual, but it was nonetheless dignified and orderly. Even Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees was not disorderly. Christian liberty may lead to unusual behavior, but that unusual behavior does not have to be disorderly or disrespectful, and that unusual behavior must not be knowingly sinful. There are well-known churches on our island that teach the eating of lobster is a sin. But we know from the scriptures that we have Christian liberty to eat lobster. Acts 10, 9 to 15. And on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he was hungry, and he was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he beheld the sky opened up, and a certain object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and the birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Now, the fact that this church teaches that it is a sin to eat lobster, and the fact that we look at the scriptures and we see a Christian liberty to eat lobster, we can agree to disagree in love. We don't have to make a big scene about that dietary difference. Our Christian liberty about the lobster is not getting out of hand or getting out of order. And so this. Illustration could go on. If we are going to eat lobster, then we must not gorge ourselves on it. We must not be gluttons with lobster or anything else. Proverbs 23, 20 and 21. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. By way of review, so far we have seen in this study of this particular miracle that legalism is a principle to be avoided and that liberty is to be our guide. Our third and our final point looking at the miracle together is love is to be our guide. All Christian service, official or unofficial, must be done in love. Love includes the earnest desire to see the glory of God revealed in the person who is loved. Sometimes that loving must correct. Sometimes that loving even feels righteous indignation, anger to be reconciled and settled by sundown on the day we feel it. Biblical love never overlooks truth. Biblical love also covers a multitude of sins, according to 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. That is, a Christian's love should, if possible, overlook the sins committed against him or against her. And a Christian's love should make the Christian always ready to forgive insults and unkindnesses and injustices, etc. Love is to be our guide. Love is to be our guide in Christian ministry. Love is to be our guide in Christian testimony. We may be legitimately angry at legalism, but we must always love legalists. In our closing of this study of this miracle, I want us to notice a few things. Number one, love acts, A-C-T-S. Love does something. Jesus didn't just say that he loved the man in the synagogue with the withered hand. He proved his love for him by curing him, healing him. Love acts. Secondly, the miracle healing was undeserved. It was pure grace. There was no evidence of any faith in the man. There was no particular reason that Christ chose that particular man to heal him out of all the persons around in the synagogue who may have needed healing. This this man did not even request to be healed by Jesus. In fact, he seems somewhat surprised that the Lord Jesus healed him. Number three... The miracle healing was a part of God's sovereign plan. Everything is. Number four, the miracle healing was public. Everyone in the synagogue that day witnessed a crippled hand become completely corrected. It was public. Number five, avoid legalism because it thwarts grace. Avoid legalism because it puts a barrier up to grace. A liberal church says, you're welcome here and you don't have to clean up your life. A legalistic church says, you're not welcome here until you clean up your life. The Lord Jesus says, you're welcome here and I will clean up your life from the inside out. Number six, Serve in true liberty that is saturated with love. Serve the Lord, serve his people, serve people in general with true liberty, the freedom to serve following custom or abandoning custom. But whatever you do when you're serving in true liberty, make sure that it's saturated in love. Legalism, the frozen heart. Liberty, the flexible heart. Love, the full heart. I want a full heart, and I believe you do too. Shall we pray? Lord, we are in a church building, not a synagogue. And at the moment, no man with a crippled hand is in front of us. But the truth is, precious souls with spiritually crippled hands are all around us every day in this bustling city. Many of these precious souls don't ever get inside a church building like ours. Either they write themselves off, or much worse, we write them off. Sometimes we can have the frozen hearts associated with legalism. Please forgive us for Jesus' sake. Sometimes we say without saying, you're not welcome here until you clean up your life. Please forgive us for Jesus' sake. Lord Jesus, you want this church, which is your church, to be a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. Supernaturally help us to love the hurting, who are in some ways different than us, but who are in most ways just like us. Oh God. This church is where spiritual lameness is to find remedy and not dirty looks. Savior, cause us all to feel especially responsible for the precious souls with spiritually crippled hands who are our near neighbors to the West, the downtrodden souls of McCullough Corners and Mason's edition. Increasingly draw them to us and draw us to them. Draw them to us and us to them so that they will be a part of our worship gatherings. But most importantly, Lord, draw them to yourself. You still heal withered hands physical ones and spiritual ones, you still heal. Lord Jesus, we need to have far more flexible and full hearts. We are in kindergarten, nowhere near university. Teach us. Perform heart surgery on us. Lord Jesus, we need to better speak for you and the wonders of your words and works. We need to bear the message to those with spiritual deadness and lameness. You are welcome here. And Jesus will clean up your life from the inside out. Cross trainers and Friday night youth group and operation in as much are a beginning but we want to be at liberty and to be loving enough that we desire that those who are impacted by these outreaches will be more present in our worship services and other ministries. God melt our frozen hearts. Lord Jesus, we don't want you to ask us one day, why didn't you welcome persons who are different than you? Your impoverished neighbors, why didn't you welcome them to my church meeting at 62 Collins?" Withered hands and withered hearts. Whether we belong to the east or the west side of the wall, we're very much the same. Melt our frozen hearts. We want full hearts. And you and only you can fill them up. Lord, please give us flexible and full hearts. Melt our hearts where they need melting. Melt my heart where it needs melting. Make us much more inclined to love than to judge. May we more want to win the loss to Christ than we want to win arguments. Teach us that doing the right thing includes doing the right thing with love. Make us to be a church which is confident that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is cleaning up lives from the inside out. We pray this, Lord, in the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ's name, amen.